Hey. Hello, Reggie. <laughs> Are we ready to go, my friend? Okay, all set. Microphone ready. Instrument <clears throat> ready. Material ready. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> all right, let's go. I will give you the three S's and the countdown. You give me the music, I'll give you a podcast. All right, sir? All right. Put it in the books here. Episode 307. 307. All right. Here we go. You all right today, Reg? Good. Thumbs up. All right. Let's just do it. Let's just do the podcast. Three S's. Star, smile, strong. All right. Here we go. Three, two. Whoop, sorry. Let me, get, let me get comfortable. We're going to be here for at least an hour, right? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcasts. We are there. Where else would we be? But of course, oh faithful podcast listener, if you have listened to this podcast with any regularity, you know that your job goes far beyond simply hitting play. Now, once you get out there, hit the streets, guerrilla tactics, get out there, send a message, send a link, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast. If your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. What the heck? That loyalty and that devotion and that energy so appreciated by yours truly and if you like what you hear don't forget whether you're a a recent podcast fan or you've gone way back if you like what you hear listen what we've talked about before so you'll know what we're talking about going forward so go to wgnradio.com get the prompt for this podcast and you will find all previous podcasts there for your loading. Just keep loading more. There should be 306 podcasts in there because this is episode 307. Oh, geez. And welcome to episode 307, eh? Oh, geez. There's a little subtle Bob and Doug McKenzie reference, if anybody remembers those two guys from the 80s. Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas of SCTV. Oh, jeez. Oh, you hoser. Good day. Okay, so listen. Good day and welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I don't know why that was so popular in the mid-80s, but my gosh, was it? Bob and Doug McKenzie. Uh, The McKenzie brothers on SCTV in the early 80s took the world by storm, had a hit single. Have a Christmas song, had a a, 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 a huge album, and uh, were a popular staple on the great, great SCTV uh, weekly comedy program. If you never saw or never heard of SCTV, and there's a real good chance you haven't, oh, uh, I know it's on DVD. I'm sure it's on... Uh, YouTube somewhere. I, it should be streaming somewhere. The work of some of the the best comedians of the of the last forty fifty years is there at the beginning of their careers. Like Mick, Rick Moranis, who went on to great success in so many Disney movies, like Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Ghostbusters, and Dave Thomas, who um, has been on. Um, uh, so many different um, shows, and uh, you know d- what I'm trying to think. What he's uh, well, he was on uh, he was on uh, Arrested Development, but uh, Harold Ramis in his early days went on to Ghostbusters, and of course we we learned of uh, Martin Short from 
and John Candy. And now, oh my gosh, Eugene Levy, who is huge because of Schitt's Creek, all started there on SCTV. Maureen O'Hara, part of Schitt's Creek, that's where they met together. Uh, the the un the un sadly the the un um, the unheralded Joe Flaherty doing uh, Count Floyd oh great great show so much talent so many hilarious bits and I I, I hope they have not been forgotten because SCTV really was groundbreaking it was on at the same time Saturday Night Live was in the in the you know the late 70s and, and early 80s and it and in many stations it was syndicated here in the Chicago area it was on after Saturday night live and to be honest with you SCTV was better than Saturday night live if you look at the people that were on that show consistently the work that they did as i said but i mean god most of those people have gone on did go on to huge careers in television and movies john candy of course uh, one of the, the biggest stars of all. We lost him so early. Harold Ramis, as I said before, director of Animal House, then Ghostbusters and Stripes, and um, Martin Short now still around and still hilarious with, with, with Steve Martin and Murders in the Building that's streaming on Hulu. Um, I said Maureen O'Hara, Andrea Martin. Um, oh, just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable talent. So check out SCTV. I don't know why I'm talking about SCTV. I don't know where they even came from. Um, I was just, just when I said, welcome to episode, uh, you know, three, 307, that's where, um, that's what Bob and Doug McKenzie used to do on this little bit that they used to do about some two guys that were up in Canada uh, that would uh, go fishing and talk about things in Upper Canada on a cable on a cable access show. And, and Bob McKenzie would say, well, good day and welcome to uh episode you know whatever and so that just reminded me of that but go check out sctv if you've never heard it or if you haven't seen one in a while go back i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere and 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 uh reinvigorate your memories great great stuff so what i wanted to talk about today on the podcast is uh as i always try to do uh, I make obs- observations as I, I head out the door and live and enjoy and observe life. I always try to come back with some of these little um, kernels of um, questions or observations that I have made, bring them back here and share them with you and see hopefully if they resonate. That's basically the basis of this podcast for the most part. It's amazing I've been able to do that 307 times. (laughs) Well, we'll see about 307. Right now, so far, I've done it 306 times. The the jury's still out on 307. We'll see in in about, uh, you know, 57 minutes or so. (laughs) Let's see what the timing is. We'll find out in uh, in 50 minutes, about 52 minutes, we'll find out if uh, if I was able to, to succeed once again and make it to another week. (laughs) <laughs> so uh it's it's a well-known uh fact here if you listen to the podcast uh that uh, i go to a lot of elton john shows last count now i have talked about when i recently hit the magic number of 200 since uh since then uh it hasn't been that long maybe a month and a half i've seen five more shows so we're at 205 just recently saw a few shows, one in uh, Minneapolis, one in Lincoln, Nebraska. Went to Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places. First had to fly into Omaha and then drive the hour from Omaha to Lincoln. So you talk about dedication. I ask you to go out there and spread the word and you know send a, send a link or send an email to your friends, and, um, and I call that devotion, which I do. But this is what I when I go to concerts. This is not all just uh, you know uh, a breeze. There's there's a lot of effort that goes into this uh, this little enterprise of mine. So yeah, sometimes I mean I couldn't get a direct flight to Lincoln for some reason, or I couldn't get one that was reasonably priced. So I flew into and crazy. Crazy price, really, which, which offset by the the price and even the rent a car, which now rent a cars you can get kind of cheap. 
So, uh, yeah, so talk about commitment. I flew from Chicago to Omaha and got a car and drove from Omaha to Lincoln, then got up the next morning and drove back from Lincoln to Omaha, got on a plane and came back home. And then most recently, I just went to Milwaukee. Now, that was an easy one, right? Uh, about an hour and a half from from Chicago, so that wasn't too bad. But, uh, you know, a long day, certainly. I was busy throughout the day and went right from a previous engagement and then jumped in the car when that was done, and that was a, a lengthy thing, and then vroom, went up to Milwaukee, wound up getting it home about midnight and left i left the house at 10 a.m that day no i left the house at 9 a.m on saturday to do well i was auditioning i mean i was rehearsing for a play that i'm going to be doing that will be up in about a month or so in may but uh, so i had a six-hour rehearsal this is my commitment once again six-hour rehearsal ended at four by the time i got out of there four fifteen four thirty and then got in the car after that and drove the hour and a half to um, to Milwaukee and then enjoyed the two-and-a-half-hour show and then got back in the car and drove the other hour and a half back, left at 10, got home at midnight. So more than a 12-hour, 14-hour day, folks. So that's commitment. And it's what I observed at this concert that I wanted to talk about today because it's, it's been an ongoing observation and this one just struck me as it's been now over the last, especially the last two or three years. So uh, everybody knows over the last 10 or 15 years in the pop culture world especially that um, this whole idea of conventions, especially in the comic book and fantasy world these com these comic cons these comic conventions that have become so huge and major marketing tools for films and television shows and comic books and you name it um these these comic con kind of a convention celebrating uh, the comic books and uh, the characters and then uh, the, the new and old TV shows based on those and films and celebrities would come and you will come and sign autographs. These have been going on for decades, but they've always been very fringe and very niche things. And And this is another example of how the Internet and social media have had such a transitionary impact and influence on our culture in general. These events have been going on for, as I said before, decades. If you look back at the history of them, especially the Comic-Con, the ones in California, you'll see they're like, you know, our 35th anniversary or something like that. And you go, wow, 30, what? what? I've, just, I've just been hearing about them lately. How do they go back? That's, that's exactly my point. You've just heard about them lately. But they have been around, but they've been niched, and, and they've just been initially um, attended by and known by, you know, the, this a small group initially of, you know, these diehard fans. And there are conventions for all types of things. It is amazing. But they were always very isolated. They were known by the people that did them. And even that wasn't easy, and it wasn't hard to connect. But my gosh, the Internet now connects literally the globe. And a byproduct of that connectivity, of that access, has certainly given new life, new popularity, and uh, made a complete new business and major segment of pop culture and a very popular segment of pop culture, these Comic-Con. Or conventions of any kind. And I'm not uh, adverse to these as well because I have certainly uh, participated in a lot of these. Uh, when I was early on, uh, about, well, now 30 years ago, which is crazy to think of, I was writing for uh, an Elton John fan magazine that was this, at that time, a very small, little niche thing. I read about it in the classified ad section of Rolling Stone magazine. That's the way you that's the way you reached people. 
30 years ago. Classified ads. You know, remember in the back of the newspaper and back of the magazines? And they still have some of them, but I don't know why. But that was the main way. That's why so many of these these uh, conventions or these groupings and uh, finding people that shared your interests uh, were were had a popularity to some extent, but they weren't widespread because it was it was just the, the, the reality and the logistics of finding people and staying in touch with them. Now we can stay in touch with them with people uh, with a few clicks of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a keystroke. It is an amazing <laughs> it's an amazing capability we have. But I, I, I found out about this Elton John fan magazine and I was a journalist. And um, and I saw this little ad, and I, I wrote in, and, and not only did I did I want to receive it, this magazine that was a fan magazine to all about Elton John in the early nineties, but then I said I also added a little letter to the the publisher of this and said, hey, you know, I'm a huge Elton John fan, and I'm a journalist, and here in Chicago, and uh, I'd love to write and 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 uh, contribute to your magazine, which I ultimately did for more than 10 years and ultimately became the managing editor of it as the original uh, publisher and editor moved on. And we had four what we called Elton Expos over those 10 years or so, four events that that we we had a two- or three-day kind of a convention, if you will, in a different city, in a hotel, and people from all over the country and some people from international cities flew in to have this and we and just like comic-con it wasn't obviously as big as that now these are in huge convention centers this was in a you know hotel ballroom with maybe 150 maybe 200 people which was still not a bad turnout for 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 this this small little niche fan magazine at the time, Elton John was not really uh, doing a lot of, of work in the early 90s. That's why the, the magazine was kind of interesting for fans, because it wasn't getting much coverage. Um, but about 150 to 200 people showed up to these from all over the country and even some around from other cities internationally. And we had band members. Elton never came, but we had, you know, band members and other significant people in Elton's career. And some of them would perform, and they would do Q and As. And it was two days of just being immersed in this passion and this hobby of yours. And that's what Comic Con is. Now it's 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 that is on such a, a huge level now. But that's how that started. The way I got my Elton John pinball machine was because I saw in the newspaper one time there was something being held here in the Chicago area called a pinball expo. And I said, pinball expo? And I said, yes, you know, pinball machines will be on display and there will be, you know, competitions. And this was for people who collected and enjoyed pinball machines. Who would have thought that there was a pinball expo, but my gosh, when I went to the hotel, it was there for, once again, over a weekend, two days. The, the place was jammed, jammed, and that's where I saw uh, my Elton John pinball machine for sale, and that's where I bought it, but who would have thought? I happened to just see this, but now the internet allows that that access and that connectivity, and so there are now... A group, and that's probably you know, with, with through social media, that's that's been a it's been a kind of a, a bad thing when we've seen people that believe in crazy ideas can also find each other. But on the bright side, people that that are like minded about fun things and their passions and their hobbies can get together like never before. Well, a, a byproduct of the Comic Con conventions, something that always had happened, but these were not publicized. They were not overtly popular. They were popular within the little comic book world, and for a while it was a very small world. Now it it dry the comic book fantasy world segment drives our culture. It drives Hollywood, that's for sure. The biggest films uh, of of the last two years, especially during COVID have all been comic book related. The new Batman movie, 
the Spider-Man movie made over a billion dollars, Batman close to that internationally. So a, a huge, huge industry now. As I said, with the growth of the superhero films, Comic-Con obviously grew because that's where the audience went. And Hollywood recognized that, and they knew that they had this uh, this captive audience. And so then when the new Iron Man film was coming out or a new Batman film or a new Spider-Man film or whatever, new, you know, Avengers film, Justice League, whatever, you know darn well that the stars and the director and the writers and anyone connected that was going to make the announcement at Comic-Con. First, make the announcement that the movie's coming, and then a year later, um, have everyone there and show clips and create the excitement for the box office. Comic-Con now has not only become a gathering place for people that enjoy comic books and superhero and fantasy uh, movies and graphic novels and uh, television shows and comic books, but it's become a huge marketing tool for Hollywood to promote these hundred, you know, these, these several hundred million dollar productions. That's that's their audience. So that audience has grown. Comic Con has grown. Everything about the whole comic book world has grown. It's been propelled as a major, major influential part of the pop culture now. Certainly in the last fifteen to almost twenty years, but certainly the last ten to fifteen. No question about that. And one of the aspects of a Comic-Con, or even the Elton John, Elton Expo that I went to, you've, don't forget, you've got, you've got really diehard fans, at least initially, at the core of this. Now, as what happens in so many times, when something becomes very popular, it gets a little bit diluted, because then everybody joins in. And everybody wants to be part of that. It's the bandwagon effect. We see it in sports all the time. We see it in everything. There are that there is that there is that core group that that establishes something. And in many ways, the mainstream doesn't even in, in this case, perfect example, the mainstream doesn't even know it exists for for a long time. And those those diehards, those core people still keep plunging away because it's such a, an important part of their lives. And then suddenly something happens. And, um, and this small little thing becomes exposed to the bigger world. And if it catches on, then everybody wants to be a part of the next cool thing. That's, that's, that's in our DNA, right? It seems to be at least. And so then, you know, and, and so it, if, you, if you are one of those pioneers at the beginning, one of the trailblazers, you do get, it's, it's, a, it's a push and pull. You're, you're, you're excited about it and you're not. You're excited about it because for years you've been telling people how cool this is. Whatever, whatever that passion or hobby of yours, if it goes into the mainstream, becomes a major thing, uh, after, after years of you toiling away and, and with, with a small group, uh, you know, extolling its virtues, you, you, there's, there's a part of you initially that wants to tell the world because you have discovered something that is so important to you that you want to share it with people. That's another part of our nature. We want to share things, right? Especially in this world today. And we want people to know about it. We see what's popular and we say, but this is so much better. And we, we are, and we, 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 we stand on our soapbox and we pound and we're saying, listen, listen, watch, watch, whatever it is. This is so great. And, and it's frustrating when the masses don't take to it because we can't understand why. And then something happens and the masses suddenly are exposed to it and they say wow that's cool and then you're sitting there if you've been a longtime fan of something you say i've been telling you that for 20 years and they don't really care about that because then when it becomes a, a mainstream thing then then oh then the big machinery takes it over and sadly whatever that is whatever it was it still may retain its core that attracted to you, but it can't help but also get diluted. 
and uh, and lose a little of its initial attraction and quality and charm and charisma or whatever it was that that um, that attracted you initially. It has to it has to get somewhat diluted when so many other people then get involved in it. And in many cases, then it becomes just the cool thing to do, an event, some place or something to to be seen at or to be associated with, not because they like it, but because it's the cool thing. And then it sort of does lose some of its cachet. I, I, I would point to... Uh, Bruce Springsteen, at least in my in my personal, uh, you know, experience, that's the way Bruce Springsteen was. I was a Bruce Springsteen fan for a real long time. I've my, I, I've told this story uh, to, to some extent, but uh, just really quickly. Um, my first Bruce Springsteen album was Born to Run when I was like, what? Let me think now. Nine years old. Nine years old. Right? Yeah, about nine. Yeah, 1975. No, maybe 11. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. And I got that from the Columbia Records and Tapes Club. And that's when I first, that was one of my my selections for a penny. So I'd been a Bruce Springsteen fan for a long time. And while he was certainly popular and had a lot of media attention early in his career, uh, even though Born to Run put him on the cover of both Time and Newsweek, it didn't make him a superstar overnight. Far from it. It wasn't until 1980 in The River uh, and the song Hungry Heart and the, and the double album The River, which became a number one album finally, um, that uh, that he really elevated himself up. And then, it, of course, it wasn't until even four years after that he kind of faded away a little. Always very popular with his core group. And it started to expand and expand. But then, of course, in 1984, it was born in the USA. And that that changed everything. And I'll be honest with you. What I'm saying to you is that that I, I was for a while. It, it was he became so big so fast in 1984. And there was still the whatever about Bruce Springsteen remained. But he his. It also got diluted, and it was and it was the cool thing to like Bruce Springsteen, and and you know four or five or five six seven year old kids were dressing like Bruce Springsteen. And when it got to that point, I I, I actually was, lost a little um, lost a little enthusiasm for it. But I was screaming from the rafters for years, for decades, Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen, and I, and, and every so often I would find people that were into it just as much as I was. And went to the concerts and had the albums and knew all this stuff. And there was this little world of ours. But then it exploded. And when it exploded and came so big, I did lose a little of my enthusiasm for it. But uh, now he's gone through different, you know, popularities and not. And now he's in his 70s and now he's an icon and a legend and everything like that. But there was a time when I was screaming from the rafters about Bruce Springsteen and no one would listen. A, f- a-, a few people. And I, and I also uh, you know subscribed to and wrote for another fan magazine called Backstreets, which was all about Bruce Springsteen because he was this initially this cult artist. And then he just exploded. Well, that's what happened to Comic-Con. It just exploded, and now it is a permanent part of our pop culture. Well, a part of the Comic-Con experience, even in its early days, because you have such passionate, energetic, and and many times creative um, followers of anything, part of the aspect of that was and is to dress up like your favorite character as i said i've gone to several of these i went to you know i I, i've gone to this uh this these elton expos i'm also a big fan of the honeymooners there was a there was a fan club of honeymooner fans in the 80s and i went to one of those conventions 
And part of that, and that that was another thing that that started with a with a small little newsletter and this little uh, you know this this little fan club that got around by word of mouth. That's the way it happened. It was word of mouth, and and maybe a, a small little story here somewhere in a newspaper. That's how you found out about things. But I attended that uh, uh, convention. They had several of these honeymooner conventions with people from all over the country as well. Totally knowing all the lines and all the episodes of the honeymooners. As I said, there's if there's an interest, if there's a hobby, there's some kind of a gathering or a convention. There always has been, and now they're they're more popular than ever. But there always have been, but you never heard about them. Well, an aspect of this Honeymooners Convention, the, the group was actually called Ralph, the Royal Association for the Longevity and Preservation of the Honeymooners. <laughs> That's what Ralph stood for um, because of Ralph Crampton, the lead character played by Jackie Gleason. But, um, uh, but part of that aspect of any of these conventions that I, even I went to, I never went to a Comic-Con convention, but, um, but I've been to Beetlefest as well. It's another one that's been around for decades, 40, 50 years. Mostly up until now in the last 10 or 15, by word of mouth. Beetlefest, been to Beetlefest several times. There's always a, uh, a gathering here in Chicago for years. So I've been to my share because I am a pop culture fan, and I am, as I've said to you many times, uh, when I get into something, I get into it. I just don't put my toe in. I am completely immersed. And now and, and I'm just thinking I, I never I wasn't even thinking about how many of these different kind of conventions or fan gatherings that I have been to. But uh I've never been to a Comic Con. I'm not really a big comic book fantasy fan. That's not my thing. But you cannot deny the impact that it's had and the popularity that it has now. And an aspect of all of these. Of all of these fans' conventions, they always have some kind of a contest or some kind of a feature as a part of the two- or three-day festivities of these conventions of a, now it used to be, a contest, a costume contest or a look-alike contest. That's what it was called. Because if you 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 know if you're such a fan, you want to take that fandom to another level, and you want to uh, you know be a part of that or, or somehow become that. So people would dress up at the honeymooner convention, for instance. People there was a contest of who had the best costume, and so people were dressed up like Norton or Ralph or Alice or Trixie or some. Sometimes uh, the diehard fans would pick some obscure character from one episode who wore something very specific, and all the diehards would know who that was. And it's the same thing, um, you know, at the Elton Expo. We would have a, a an Elton costume contest, and people, of course, would wear, you know, the glasses and the hats and, uh, you know, and, 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 and try to um, emulate Elton from a specific era of his career because he's had many different looks. And obviously at Comic-Con, wow, I mean, where do you, where do you start? Right, I mean, of course, we all know about the Star Trek conventions. Uh, everybody wearing Star Trek outfits. So there's there's a convention for everything. Well, at the Comic Con, my gosh, it's uh, how many? It could be anyone in the world of comic books and fantasy and superheroes. You've got villains and superheroes and 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 you know ancillary characters and all different things. As I said before, TV shows, movies, comic books graphic novels so my gosh the palette to choose from and so as the popularity of comic-con grew so did the popularity of people dressing up as their favorite character that combined with the today's generation Today's pop culture, which is which is defined by, as I've said this many times, look at me. So in a look at me, narcissistic culture of which we are completely engaged in today, whatever anyone can do to bring attention to themselves, 
is promoted now, is encouraged. It's encouraged via social media on TikTok and and YouTube and Instagram. That's what you want. There was a time, believe it or not, anybody who's in their 30s, you might, you know, or, or below, you might not even you not even picture a world like this. But believe it or not, and this and this was this was a long time staple of our culture. You were not supposed to bring attention to yourself. The idea you were your narcissism, it's all it's it's all in us. It's part of our DNA as well. But it was it was not socially acceptable in many ways to bring attention to yourself. And those and there was a fine line for those people that did. Obviously in the in the entertainment world it was promoted but in but in the in the everyday world you were called a show off even in the in even even in the accepted world especially in sports for instance if you brought attention now i mean everybody brings attention but that, that like i said that's that's what you do that's your brand everybody brands themselves people are brands now right but that that was not the way you, you were supposed to you were not supposed to bring attention to yourself you were supposed to be a part of the collective if you are on a team for instance in a team sport you were not supposed to bring attention to yourself it was about the team concept but really in the 70s uh as television became more uh important to sports and it became a you know, television sports became a major programming uh, choice. And as television brought sports, all types of sports, to the masses, then individuality began to creep in. The old school folks didn't like that. You know, there's some, and and that's why you don't really hear about and know about a lot of the old school great sports stars because they didn't bring attention to themselves. And so their names sadly have faded with time. But in today's world, uh, high school kids are expected to support their brand. High school kids are. That's how even some, you know, grammar school kids. So a whole different world. But if you brought attention to yourself in any way many times, you were called a show-off or a hot dog or you were conceited. And these were negatives. Today, narcissism is on parade. It is celebrated and it is rewarded through social media, through reality television. But there was a time when there wasn't. So obviously, with a generation now grown up with Look at me, a generation that has been encouraged to put the spotlight on themselves, that has been encouraged, encouraged to show off, who has been encouraged to be a hot dog. It's completely 180. Well, in that world, at Comic-Con, for instance, the dressing up part now is probably the biggest part of that. Yes, people uh, are excited to go and share their interest, but the motivating factor now is I'm going to Comic-Con and I've got to get my outfit ready. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll you know I'll get some t-shirts and I'll maybe I'll go and you know get some autographs and stuff, but but my costume is the real reason I'm going. I can't wait to go and parade like a peacock for 2 days and have everybody see my costume and take pictures of me to put on their social media. I mean, that's what this has evolved into. That's what our culture has evolved into today and today and it doesn't just and so that's where it grew it started now at comic-con where this dressing up and now it's even got its own term if you're not aware of it it's got its own term it's called cosplay c-o-s play 
One word. Cosplay, meaning costume play. And that's that is that's just now a staple, a foundational part of our pop culture. Cosplay. If you go to a big event of any kind today that's pop culture related, maybe not the opera, <laughs> but certainly concerts, baseball games, any kind of sports, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, big gathering that's centered around a specific thing, like a concert, a certain artist, or artists like Lollapalooza, or, you know, a Comic-Con or a convention like this, or any big event like that that is fun and, and um, you know, mainstream-oriented, you will see people dressed up. It's part of the experience now. And they go to these events just to dress up or going to it. It's not enough to say, I just can't wait to go see that concert. As I said, now it is, I am preparing my costume. And the other side of the coin is that it works. People do react to it. Strangers. People do come up to these people that are dressed up and say, can I take a picture with you or of you for myself? And they're going to post it on their pages. And and now these people become part of the experience because that's the other side of what's going on in the last 10 or 15 years, especially with this, uh, with, with today's millennial and younger generations. They need to be active participants. There was a time when you would go to a sporting event or a concert and the attraction was the attraction, the singer, the sporting event, and you were a spectator. But I believe because of video games especially, and and, and now we've got, you know, at least two generations that were, if not more, raised on on video games, at least a generation and a half, definitely. It's a, such a major part of their lives. They are used to being active in it. Even though it's a video game, they are doing something. Older generations could watch a baseball game, watch a football game. Today's generation needs to have some some attachment to that event of themselves in that event. That's why we have fantasy sports leagues. It's not enough for people just to watch the game. They have to have some skin in the game. They have to have some, and it's not just gambling. It's not about gambling, which now is obviously a huge part of it as well, and, that, and it is a, a huge thing in, in the sporting world. But the fantasy sports those fantasy leagues are about me being interactive with that sport. I, they, I, watching the sport is not enough. I need to be invested in it, a part of it. There used to be participants and spectators. That line has been blurred. It's done. Now the audience wants to be considered a participant. My team, my fantasy team. When I'm going to an event, I, yeah, yes, I'm there to see you know Bruce Springsteen and Elton John, but I'm going to dress up like them too. I'm going to be a part of the attraction. It's not just up there on the stage. Now I'm going to be a part of the attraction, and people are going to look at me, and I'm going to feed off that energy for myself. I want to be a part of it. I need to be a part of it. I need to be seen. And so if you go to sporting events or especially concerts, growing out of the Comic-Con cosplay world, it has now filtered out of just that little world of the comic books and people dressed up like Batman or their favorite villains or their, their, their favorite whatevers. It was initially in that world and it was accepted and it seemed a little weird. But, oh, well, that's, that's that world. Fine. Well, no, it's not weird anymore. That is par for the course. That is ex- expected. It's encouraged. It's rewarded. 
And so we are seeing it now infiltrate into other aspects of our culture. It started, I believe, at that cosplay, started at these, you know, Comic-Cons, but now they're everywhere. If you're into, uh, you know, different big events. There used to be a, there used to be a thing, you know, called celebrity lookalikes, that people looked like somebody and they would go and make appearances. Now that, I don't know if the celebrity lookalike world even exists, exists because Everybody, average people are becoming celebrity lookalikes. They are investing time and money and effort into creating these costumes that when they go to their own event, for no simple reason except to be seen, to have attention put on them, to have their picture taken and, and put on social media. Everybody is a star today. <laughs> That was not the case decades ago. And you can argue it's good points and bad points, which is what I sort of want to get into. So over the last, especially the last three or four years, as I said, there are things that uh, longtime fans have always uh, been pounding the pavement on and telling people this is great and the masses sometimes listen, sometimes don't, and then all of a sudden there's this something that happens. Well, that's happened with Elton John, especially over the last five years, if not more. He's been around forever. He was hugely successful in the um, in the 70s, almost unparalleled uh, popularity in the 70s of what he accomplished. But he has always been around. Even he's had different waves of popularity, but he's always been in the the zeitgeist and in the pop culture. He's always been able to maintain a certain level, have a few hits, and then he's expanded his career into films and, and theater, um, uh, and, and as well as music. So he's done a masterful job of staying relevant for 50 years. It's not easy. And so with that, and then especially, you know, he, he introduced himself to a whole new generation, you know, 25, almost 30 years ago now with the Lion King. And so little kids grew up with the Lion King and then knowing his music from that. Can you feel the love tonight? And, and Hakuna Matata and things like that. And then they just discovered more of him. Well, I've noticed now in the last five years, especially at Elton John concerts, as more Younger people have discovered Elton, and obviously over the last three years with the release of his uh, Oscar-winning uh, film, at least he won for the best uh, original song, uh, Rocket Man, his, his biography film, a, a huge influx of new younger fans have discovered Elton. And you see them at the concerts. Uh, yes, there's no question that at an Elton John concert, the crowd, for the most part, is a little older, 50s, 60s, even 70s. But there is a huge and growing contingent of younger fans in their 20s and 30s and even younger. And I'm impressed by that. That's, that's not easy to do after a 50-year career. So while that's great... And I've been pounding the pavement and screaming at the top of my lungs about how great Elton John is. I'm excited to see that he has experienced yet another renaissance in popularity. And and now with with uh, he just had a number one song with Dua Lipa, which is crazy. At age seventy four to have a number one song, but he did. So a masterful job of not only creativity, but also marketing by playing into the different social media platforms, to playing into what this generation is, uh, you know, recognizes and, and values. And part of that is cosplay. And so Elton encourages people 
to dress up. And on his Instagram page and on his website, we'll have pictures of people who are dressed up like him from different eras of his career. In fact, a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, the number one selling costume, the number one selling costume I read somewhere was a representation of his sequined Dodger Stadium uniform from his concert in 1975. Now, I've, I remember seeing pictures of that when it happened. I wasn't there. I was a little young to go to the concert, sadly. I would have loved to have seen it. But my point is, I've always known about the sequin Dodger Stadium uniform. It's a part of my, my, my common knowledge. But there's younger people that never saw or heard of that. And when they saw it, even in the film, perhaps, just two or three years ago, they were like, wow, that's the coolest thing. And that became the number one Halloween costume. And here's my point. Over the last three, four years, especially on this, this farewell tour, I have noticed that now the amount of people dressing up like Elton in some way is is so commonplace, it's so prevalent, and it's done by people now of all ages. It's not, there's there's no question that most of the people doing it are all people in their 20s and 30s. And it's an an equal mix of men and women. It's not just women trying to show off and say, look at me. There's a lot of guys. When I was in Milwaukee just last week, there was a guy sitting a couple rows ahead of me who was dressed up like Elton in from the Tommy film uh, as the pinball wizard. And this was a this was an amazing costume. There was great thought and great effort and great expense put into this costume. It was not just thrown together. There was a lot of of of, of artistry. This was a well put together, well made costume. And he had the cap with the big pinball on the top of it, and the the glasses looked just like it. And he had the shirt and the white pants and the suspenders. He even wore a par, a pair of a pair of brown Doc Martens, which the pinball wizard wore. They were six feet high in the film, but they still were brown Doc Martens. He had every detail down. And the guy that he was with was had this feather outfit, this white feather outfit, big, and then he had the, the, the jumpsuit uh, and the star uh, that, uh, that you remember from the film. So I'm sure these guys saw the film. And a lot of people, you could see what they're wearing. They are representations of what was in the movie. So I think a lot of this came from the images that were put forth in the movie because so many of these pictures have been around for years. I, I know all these. I could tell you, I could tell... Anytime by looking at what Elton is wearing, what year that was, what tour that was, the whole thing. But I could see with this cosplay now at an Elton concert of what is where people are drawing their influence from or for their exposure. And it seems like it's mostly the film because most of the images that uh, that are in that film seem to be what people are dressed up as. But it is... It's so commonplace now, and Elton encourages it and points it out and gives people thumbs up and mentions from the stage, thank you so much for all the people who dressed up. And these people, of course, are reveling in this because everybody's looking at them. There were so many people taking pictures of this pinball wizard guy, and you could see that he was loving it. That's the, He achieved his goal. He walked in. It was impossible not to... Rec, you know, to, not to uh, you know react to him because it was the, the 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 costume was was so impressive, but that's why he was there. Now I, I was watching, and he seemed to know this, this some of the songs, but there's no doubt that he was there to be seen. And people were going, "Oh my God, can I take a picture with?" Oh yeah, and they were just posing, and that that you know, mission accomplished. 
Now, here's, here's the problem, at least in my head. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's the reality of it. I, since being a little kid, have been influenced, and I enjoy dressing up. But now I'm a little older, and I see all these people dressed up, and I know, because when I went to those conventions, I would dress up when I was younger, and it was kind of looked at like, oh, look at this guy, and more eye rolls from people. Or look at this weirdo. Because I said before, it wasn't as socially acceptable. So I was I was trying to wear my fandom out on my sleeve here. And doing the same thing that, that, that these kids today were doing, these younger people were doing, but it wasn't as socially acceptable. And so I'm a little torn now, personally. Because when, I, when I'm at this concert, especially an Elton show, for instance, just use that, because that's where the observation came from. When I go to these concerts, I see all these people dressed up in the Dodgers stadium outfit, you know, the, the sequin Dodger uniform or the flowers or the big bird outfit with the feathers. I mean, some of these are very elaborate costumes that people are creating and going to the concert. And when I was 11 years old in 1975 when the movie Tommy came out. I was the pinball wizard for Halloween. And I went to this party that was at my school. And I remember walking in, and I remember some people thinking it was cool, but other people looking at me and rolling their eyes. And, oh, look at Mr. Showoff here. And so I, 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 I guess I struggle with this today because there's a part of me that would like to do that. But then there's a part of me that says, but they're, not, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And there's a part of me too that says, you know, uh, it's a young kid's game. And there's a part of me that with time and maturity, I still say, look at me sometimes, but in a more subtle way, because I used to dress a lot more uh, flamboyantly or whatever. And it was frequently looked down on, or I got the eye rolls. And no one else was doing it. And so it wasn't as fun as I had hoped. And now I see everybody in this cosplay and I, at these concerts and, and walking around, everybody's looking at me. And there's a part of me that rolls my eyes now. But there's also a part of me that says, you know, hey, I was a pinball wizard 40 years ago, Kai. And my costume was, was pretty good, too. But I can't see myself at my age at this time dressing up like the pinball wizard. I would like to. There's a part of me that certainly would like to. But there's also a part of me that says that's, that's, that's just not your game anymore. And that's a little unfortunate. I'm sure some people are saying, you know what, Jim, don't worry about what other people think. Just do what you want to do. And I get that. And I do that sometimes. But I think there is also something a little sad when you see an older person trying to jump onto the bandwagon. Some people think it's, it's, it's cool, but it's more of an oddity. And so I am torn. At, there's a part of me that sees all these people dressed up at these Elton John concerts, and I'm a little jealous of them that they have that social acceptance now to do that. Because if I had that 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, I would have done that consistently. I, I did wear, like in 1984, I wore, uh, Elton used to wear um, the, uh, like a, like a, a uh, 
I can't remember. I, I can't remember now the kind of hat, like a straw hat. That was his look in the eighties. And so I bought a straw hat just like that and went to the concert. So I've done this. I was doing cosplay 40 years ago at concerts. And I had the glasses like he wore and I had the hat. In fact, I was in the first row and he, I tipped my hat to him and he tipped it back to me. But my point is I was the only one in the whole stadium that did that. And... As I walked around, people looked at me, and I was there to say, look at me, right? I'm no better or no worse than the people today, really. But I'll tell you, the people that looked at me were rolling their eyes. I had some people, you don't look like them. They were, they were, they were attacking me. They were criticizing me. <laughs> 30 years later, People are taking pictures with these people. So I'm a little resentful because I was doing this. In my mind, I, I, I kind of invented that in my mind to some extent. I was doing that before anyone else did it. And I was shunned or I was criticized or I was my, the eyes were rolled at me. And now it's encouraged. And exalted. And I feel like, well, why couldn't that happen when I did it? So there's a little jealousy around it. But I also say to myself, you know, I'm at an age now where it might look a little pathetic if I were to do that. That's, That's for young people, so go ahead and have your fun. But there is a side of me that says, I'd love to do that. So I'm very torn when I see this. When I see this, I I don't know how to react. I don't want to roll my eyes. But at the same time, I do roll my eyes. (laughs) So I'm not sure what or how I feel about it, but there's no question that it is a major part of our pop culture now. And as I continue to see these Elton John concerts on this farewell tour, I know, especially when we then the outdoor shows start, you're going to see there's going to be you know 60,000 people at those. So I can only imagine, and I'm going to go see Elton John at Dodger Stadium for his final two North American shows on this tour. And could you imagine how many people are going to be dressed up in the sequin Dodger Stadium outfit at Dodger Stadium for the last concerts? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) If you don't wear the sequin Dodgers Stadium costume, you will be probably in the minority because everyone's going to have it. You're going to be, I'm going to be sitting there without it and be the only one without it on, I'm sure. <laughs> so I can only imagine what my jealousy is going to be like then. So I don't know what to do here. I'm so torn. I applaud them for their excitement and their effort and their passion because I have it. I applaud them for their bravery to do it but it's not brave when i did it it was brave when they're doing it it's it's accepted so i shouldn't even say i applaud them for their bravery i applaud them for their for their freedom to do what they want to do because i i didn't i didn't have that freedom to some extent there was a lot of peer pressure there was a lot of there was a lot of reaction negative reaction to it when i was doing it so i'm happy for them but I'm a little resentful of them too. I I can't wear an Elton John costume to a concert today. I really can't. I just can't. I don't know why, but I can't. And I look at the people that are dressed up, and I I, I do 
critiqued it very closely. Say, okay, well, that person, they got it down. So I give them some props. But I don't take pictures with them. I don't engage with them. I silently give them props. And maybe that's just my my own little problem that I have to deal with. But I have, overall, I, I look at where I have been, the time I've been born in, and, I, and I've often said, I've either been born, I was either born too early or too late. I was either born, so much of what I like is either rooted in the past or what I liked is now mainstream, but I'm not, my age group isn't driving the culture anymore, so it doesn't matter. It's a younger person's game. But I have to say, there's a little side of me that still does because only for about two or three songs at the Elton John concerts, because, and I think I've actually been inspired by all these cosplay people at the Elton John concerts over the last couple of years, to be a part of that and yet not be overtly a part of it, doing it in a subtle way that that's a little more uh, res- reflective of my age, I do bring my pair of Elton John glasses. And during the bitches back and I'm still standing and Saturday nights are right for fighting, especially if I'm up by the lip of the stage, I'll put on my white glasses and do some quasi-cosplay. It's my way of being a part of it without being a part of it. I either should have been born in 1942 or I should have been born in 1982. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. And it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 307. I'm Elton Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.